0: Please take out your Bible, open up to the book of James near the end of the New Testament. Um, If you would like a Bible, maybe you don't have one and would like one, I've got one for you. Come see me after the worship service, I'd be glad to give you one. Um, If you don't have one and don't have one on your phone, you can look uh, around you in the seats for a Bible um, already sitting there. Chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, But say to the poor man, now you stand over there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the royal name or the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one part is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want you to think of a time that you've been selected for something. When have you been chosen for something? Maybe, uh, you know, you auditioned for a part or a role or um, uh, instrumentally or vocally and you were, you were chosen for the band or for the orchestra or the, the choir or the, the, the production. Uh, that's, that's a good feeling, right? Or maybe uh, you were a great fit for the company uh, you had a great interview, and you got the job offer. Or maybe someone asked you to serve on a board, board of directors, because they, they knew that you had some insight or some experience or some point of view that would really benefit uh, not only the other board members but the, the organization you're serving. Um, it feels good when you were the top of, of the 10 or the 20 or the the 50 or 100 and, and you were selected for something that, that that that's that's all a great thing right um we live in a world that looks for and rewards talent and where it pays to stand out now the challenge is we can bring this this way of being selective um into all other areas of our lives. And so what we read from James is is an explanation of of one way that Christians should not show that selectivity. And James addresses it in chapter 2. We're going to look about this command that we read in verse 1. Let's look at verse 1 again. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. What does it mean to show favoritism? Why is it important for us to listen to this command? And how is this command so central, not only to our faith, but also to having integrity? That's what we're looking at this month, integrity in the book of James. So what is this favoritism? Uh, One of the difficulties of this command is how easy it is to agree with that command, and yet how profuse being selective is. And showing partiality is in life. So let's let's see if we can all can agree with the command. Can we all agree that it is not good to treat one person in our church assembly in our church family? That it's not good to treat one person in our church family better than another based on their looks or their income level or their nationality or their age or any other factor. Can we all believe that's agree that's not good? Yeah, that's not good. Agreed. Yet, showing partiality, which is really what James is saying here. In fact, uh, depending on your translation of the Bible, it may have that word uh, partiality or or being partial in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Showing partiality, being selective, in how we act towards someone, in some circumstances, is entirely appropriate based on the situation. So let's talk about what this command is not. What does this command not mean? Well, one thing it doesn't mean is um, uh, it doesn't mean don't show courtesy or respect that is appropriate in a given situation. Um, yeah, half, More than half of you know uh, Pastor Roger and his wife, Roger and Debbie DeYoung. He's the founding pastor of Hope Church, Was served here for over three decades, still lives in the, in the, in the neighborhood, and we see Roger and Debbie, Pastor Roger and, and Debbie, around from time to time at different uh, church activities and events. Uh, if Pastor Roger or, uh, or Debbie show up for an event, uh, it would be very inappropriate um, to say, well, you know, you can have that seat way off in the, the corner back there, right? That's, that is not giving respect. That is, that is entirely appropriate um, in a certain circumstance or situation. We want to be courteous. This verse does not command, condemn courtesy in the life of a church. J. A. Matier, and I've relied on his commentary on the Book of James for the study behind the sermon. James uh, J. A. Matier writes, "The Bible about the Bible. The Bible is much too courteous of a book to allow us to lack proper respect for people to whom respect is due. So that's not what this command is about. Nor is this command about um, prohibiting." Showing gratitude when people contribute to a cause financially or with their gifts or their presence or their energy. Um, at the, the classes meeting that we had this past weekend and the, the army of volunteers who spent hours and hours Friday and Saturday up here, of course, it is entirely appropriate to show special gratitude to those individuals. Sometimes we provide special seating at events um, it, for showing gratitude for the contributions of people. That's not what's being prohibited here. What, this, what does this command mean? Do not treat certain people with a greater kindness than others in order to receive extra favor from them. So that's, that's kind of a form of manipulation, isn't it? There's a verse from Deuteronomy that says, this is Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. And then it adds this, who shows no partiality. There's the word we're studying. And accepts no bribes. Bribing is a form of manipulation. So showing partiality, when it's a gentle way or maybe an extremely obvious way of bribing or manipulating, it's not something that God does. It's not something that God approves of. We're not to be manipulative of one another. One day, uh, one of the leaders of the Pharisees, the the religious ruling class, invited Jesus over for a dinner. Jesus saw everyone... At uh, this dinner party, angling for the seats of honor. You showed up at a, at a party, and you're like, "I don't, I don't know where to sit." Well, the people at this party—they knew where they wanted to sit, and they were angling for the places of honor at the table. See, back then, the the host would hold the 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 seat of highest honor at the meal, and the person of next greatest importance, or who was seen as Next highest in importance, what seats that person's right, the the, the next seat of honor. Jesus saw what people were doing, trying to get the the distinguished seats, and he said, this is what Jesus said, okay, when 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 you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, of course, is Jesus saying when you're throwing a party, don't invite anyone you know? Of course not. He's contrasting the importance of not showing favoritism in, in order to get something in return from someone, that, that little form of manipulation. So Jesus is confronting, as he's doing this, as he's saying this, he's confronting a world that celebrates people known as good for some things. You see, way too often we think, how can a person be good for something for me? How can I use someone uh, for my advantage? How, who can I associate with so that I can present a better impression of myself by being in that person's company. Have you ever thought something like that? Who are the good for somethings in my life? See, at at its core, this command, do not show favoritism, it means don't be selective in who you show compassion and mercy to. Reserving your compassion and your mercy only for those people that you believe are good for something for your life. And at the ancient in the ancient Roman Empire, that was that was the MO for people. Find people who are good for something and leverage them for my advantage. There was a distinct class system in the ancient Roman Empire uh, that pointed out exactly who the good for somethings were. Um, at the top of the Roman very uh, stratified class structure in the Roman Empire. Now, the very top were the ruling elite, the, the senators and, and those who were working their way up to become senators. And, um, and these different classes would dress in ways to reveal to people who they were. For example... Uh, what do you think of ancient Romans wearing? I mean, you might think of a toga. Well, not everyone could wear the same kind of toga. If you were a slave, you weren't allowed to wear a toga at all. If you were in the lower class but a Roman citizen, you could wear a toga, but it was a real simple toga. If you're a senator, you got to wear a, a nice purple stripe on your toga that indicated to everyone, "I'm, I'm a senator." If you were working your way up to be a senator, you weren't one yet, but you had the wealth to become a senator. Uh, you were you you could wear a a toga known as the toga candida candida where we get our word candidate from and they were gleaming white togas uh, and they were assigned this is someone who is work may, doesn't have the purple stripe yet but is working his way up to that status you could you could wear that to show people who you were if you were the wealthy class You could also wear a gold ring. Gold rings were used to identify people of privilege and used to get special seating at public events. So James says, we read this, chapter 2, you see a gold ring, someone coming in with a gold ring. It's tempting to show extra favor to try to get in good with the wealthy among us. That's not how God wants relationships to work, James says. Likewise, James writes, do not treat... The poor as if they have so little value. In fact, look at verse 5 in James chapter 2. James writes, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? Has God not chosen the poor to give his kingdom to? This is just world rocking. This is a world rocking viewpoint that James is writing about for the Roman Empire. Because he's writing to an empire where it was your pedigree and your wealth that made someone take notice of you and say, wow, this is a good for something. This is, this is a someone. And what God does is he just completely ignores that storyline from, from culture. And, and, and this is what God does. God says, you are a someone not because of your societal rank, but because I have chosen you. I've chosen to love you. There's one class. It's the love by God class. And James is saying, and we're all in that class. And this is why James writes, Verse. look at verse 8. This is why James writes what he does in verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Now, many people have, have, have said, well, why does he call that the royal law? We don't, we don't see that, that, that royal law written in, in, throughout the scriptures. It's unique to James. What is James uh, saying by that? Well, maybe he's saying it's the king's law, the king of king's law. It's the royal law, and, and, and certainly it is. But I think James is calling our attention to its absolute importance. Love your neighbor Because whoever it is that is your neighbor, that person is in the loved-by-God class. One class of people, the loved-by-God class. And then verse 9, James writes, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty in breaking all of it. Now, this means a few things for us. I think we need to think through this. Um, It means that you cannot judge your own moral goodness by tallying the commands that you obey and giving yourself a grade based on that. For example, you can't reason, I think I have a B plus in morality lately. Uh, the, The last year, no major infractions, no felonies. Maybe a few smaller things that I've done. Maybe I've said a, a derogatory or mean-spirited comment. Yeah, I did that about these certain people. But I did that about them, not around them, not to them. Eh, it might be a half-letter grade deduction and coming up with this discrete B+, plus, B, A- minus grade. Uh, we can't do that for a few reasons. One is because James then gives um, this example in verse 11. When he writes, don't pride yourself in not committing adultery because you may have committed murder. And I think that's just an interesting, fascinating example James gives. Don't pride yourself in not committing adultery. Hey, I haven't committed adultery. But you might have been a Murderer. And then James follows that striking example up with a statement that seems to come from Captain Obvious. Verse 11, he says, If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, well, let me tell you, you have become a lawbreaker. Well, of course you become a lawbreaker if you've committed Murder, right? Well, yeah, of course, James. I think it's just a funny statement he makes. What is James getting at? Because I would imagine most of us in this room are thinking, yeah, well, I haven't committed murder either, James. See, James, this is where we need to remember the teachings of Jesus. Uh, do you think James, who is the brother, he's this James that wrote this letter is... Not like the brother of John, James. This is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, James, writing this letter. Do you think James, who is the brother of Jesus, may have taken a a note a time or two of Jesus' teaching? Yeah, I think so. And Jesus said, the law says do not commit murder. And yet anyone who commits murder, Jesus says, uh, is, is subject to judgment. Course, but then Jesus says something that is striking that many of you will remember from Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, But I tell you, anyone who says, You fool will be in the danger in danger of the fire of hell. So not only would taking someone's life qualify you that's the technical, the literal definition of Someone who murders someone else. But there's another way that that will equally put you in danger of the fires of hell. And that is saying, you fool to someone. Jesus is saying there are other ways to violate someone egregiously. Just like taking their life. And one of those ways is by speaking contemptuously of someone. That's all it takes. And that makes you a murderer in the spirit of God's law, Jesus is saying. And the other reason why we can't just give ourselves this discreet grade you know, of our moral performance is because, James writes, the commandments of the law, they go together. If you violate just one part of the law, you've broken all of it, James says. The laws work, the commands work together. And we, we like to think of them separately. You know, don't commit think of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't desire for something that isn't yours, that is not rightfully yours. In other words, don't covet. And we often think of these as discrete, just separate laws. Um, but James says these laws, actually, they work together. They're one integrated whole. So if I've, think about adultery. If you've committed adultery, if I've committed adultery, what also have I done? Well, I've also been a thief. I, I, um, you know, I have stolen someone else's spouse from them, but I've also stolen love away from my spouse who should have received that love? I've been a thief as well, not just an adulterer. I surely will have given false testimony in committing adultery. I would have lied somewhere down the road. I would have lied in the process. Um, I've also coveted something that is not rightfully mine to have. If I have committed adultery and claim to bear the, the the Lord's name as a Christian, well then I have misused and disgrace the name of the Lord. You see, by breaking one of the commandments, really we're breaking all of them. The royal law, love your neighbor, is one indivisible whole. So I've heard of it uh, put like this. J.A. Mateer also writes this. He says that the law, it's not like a pile of bricks. You have a a pile of a 100 bricks here. I take out one brick. What do I still have? A pile of bricks. Looks Exactly the same. I've just, I've just taken one brick from the pile. That is not how the law works. I can't break one command and think, I am keeping, I'm, I'm keeping the law intact. By and large, I've just taken one brick. No. God's law is like a sheet of glass. If I break the glass in one part, the whole sheet is tainted. If you go look at my two cars, unfortunately, I've got cracks in the windshields of both of my cars, thanks to rocks on the freeway. I got a crack. Can I still use the windshield? Yeah, I can see quite fine out of this part of the windshield, but there's this crack, and it taints the the whole windshield. That crack spreads a bit. You don't look at a cracked windshield and say, um... You don't look at a cracked windshield and a nice windshield, a perfect windshield, and say, oh, these look the same. No, you don't. The same way that you look at a pile of 99 bricks and a pile of 100 bricks and say, yeah, they look the same. The law, the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, is an integrated whole. And let me tell you what what, what James is telling us. James is telling us that when you show favoritism, it's like living with a fractured faith. It's like that crack in the windshield. That dis- has that, that disfigured the, the the whole windshield. In fact, that it's another way to understand verse one. Look back at verse one. This time I'm going to put the how the English Standard Version puts verse one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. As you hold the faith in Jesus, Show a full faith, not a partial faith. Showing partiality to others to get something out of them is showing a partial faith. Why? Because, James writes, it is the faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, why does James add that little phrase? If you look at the NIV, it says the glorious Lord, but... But a better way of reading that is how it was just on the screen with the English Standard Version, Christ, comma, the Lord of glory. Why did James add the Lord of glory? So James, half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. And I want you to think of that for a moment. I've never really thought of this. Whenever it was that James realized who this fellow son of Mary was that was in the house with him, his half-brother Jesus, whenever James realized that his half-brother Jesus was the son of God, maybe this is what he thought. How utter... Astounding and unbelievable it is that God's Son would have shared this house with me. How utterly unbelievable it would be that the Son of God would come into my poor little life and the the poor little family of mine and give His love to all of us. He is the Lord of glory. And all those times, James would have been thinking, all those times that I mistreated him, I didn't know he was the son of God. All brothers mistreat one another. And James would have thought, oh, my gosh, I mistreated the Lord of glory. And he just took it. He just absorbed it. And the son of God just loved me. All the while. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And that's Christ's glory. The world has never seen anything like that. Jesus came and emptied himself of all of his majesty, and he became poor so that you could become rich. You and your condition. What is your condition? In your trouble. so that he, Jesus came to you so that in your trouble you might become rich. In, in your distress, you might become rich. In your sin, in your, in your broken heart, in your pain, Jesus came to you in your sickness, in your disillusionment. Jesus came to you in those moments you just despaired and doubted. Jesus came to you when you were angry. Jesus came to you when you were rejected. Jesus came to you when you were poor so that you might become rich. You are rich because Christ came to you and gave you his love and gave his kingdom to you and gave his very spirit, his very presence to you. And not because he selected you because of anything good that you had done or anything good that he saw in you, but because Jesus had compassion on you in your sin and in your brokenness. And see, when you believe that, just like James just realized, oh, my gosh, the Son of God, he's the Son of God. He came to my poor family. When you you realize that Jesus had done that to you, has done that to you, it changes you on the inside. And this is why showing partiality, let's let's bring this back to integrity. This is why showing partiality is so important to integrity, having integrity. We said last week, integrity is turning our inner life, taking the change that God has made to our inner life and turning that into action. And this is what James is describing here. This is why James calls the royal law the law of freedom, because he's describing this law sets us free to to be truly who God made us to be. Look at verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the royal law that gives freedom. Now keep that scripture on the screen just for a moment. Speak and act as though you are going to be judged by the the royal law that gives freedom. See, see God wants to give freedom for your your inner being who he has changed to actually make its way out into, into your actions. That's true freedom. How God has made your inner being to, to be manifested outwardly through your actions. And then, verse 13 because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is not saying that the mercy you show others earns you mercy from God. But rather, James is pointing out, when Jesus comes in, there's this interchange inside and God wants to set that interchange loose. God has made us merciful so that we can then show mercy. This change happens when the Lord of glory comes in and dwells in you. Paul Listen, you want to know who you want to, who you really are meant to be, you look at Jesus. That's your true nature. If you want to be, if you want to know who you are meant to be, you look to Jesus. So Paul shows this to us also in 2 Corinthians. Um 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Think about what you do with your life, what you communicate with your life, what you preach, what you proclaim with your life. Paul writes, what we preach is not ourselves. So that's what the, the gleaming white toga, the, the toga with the purple, that's what the ring, the gold ring is proclaiming, ourselves. Paul writes, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Christ and His glory, his, His glory that has chosen you, chosen me in our poverty and our brokenness, has come into our hearts. And God wants to set that glory of Christ into action through our our actions. And that's why James says, don't show partiality to one another. Don't have this partial faith in Jesus, who is the Lord of glory. Because you were meant not to show the partial Jesus, but the Jesus who is so impartial in demonstrating his love and his mercy and his compassion. So, church, that's it. Don't show favoritism. I want you to think, who can you show kindness to this week? Who can do nothing in return for you? Ask yourself that question. Who can I serve this week not expecting anything in return? Who can I do that for? Who can you come alongside now to to show the light of Christ's glory? Let's pray. Our faithful Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming down to us. Thank you. We might not feel... Exactly like James felt as he lived surely in that just impoverished home, that little that that small little home that he shared with his mom Mary and, and his his brother Jesus. They they truly were poor by the world standards of economy. We might not completely feel that same way, but Lord we know that we we are impoverished. We're broken inside. We're poor in spirit so many days. Feeling distant from you. Feeling like sinners not worthy of your love. Feeling weak and afraid and lonely. And yet you come and you live with us. Oh, we want to thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, may... May we be shaped by that. May we we be changed by your glorious love inside of us. Help us to live that out. Show your favor to everyone so that we can show you to everyone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.